All right, time to bring on our guest for this week, and you've seen him in classic movies like Down Periscope. You've heard his voice on TV shows like King of the Hill, and even caught him in the new Ghostbusters film. And honestly, I mean, that's really just scratching the surface. But he joins us to remind you to watch the Season 3 return of AMC's Halt and Catch Fire on August 23rd at 9-8 Central, and he is Toby Huss. Toby, thanks for joining us. Sure. Hey there, guys. Hello, uh, Steve. <laughs> hey, Toby. How's it going? How's your uh, How's your coffee? What do you drink it? Uh, how do you drink your coffee? I'm curious. Well, you know, today I got a uh, I got a hot, and I got me a little bit of cream in it. Okay, that's all you Seems need. Seems to right? be. Yeah, it's pretty hot in Los Angeles today. It's around a hundred or so, but uh, you know, those old Italians they like to drink their coffee hot on hot days. <laughs> Hey, well, need the caffeine. I had uh, I had some tea. I know it's not quite as manly as coffee would be, but it was still hot. <laughs> now there you go. Um, so, like I said, Hog and Catch Fire is coming back, and as our uh, listeners are hearing this, uh, it should be coming back tomorrow night, August 23rd. So uh, for anyone who hasn't checked out the first couple seasons, uh, let us know about the show itself a little bit and your character, John Bosworth. Well... You know, the show's about the computer industry. It starts out in, uh, Texas in the 80s, early 80s, and then meanders up to, meanders up California way this season, up at the beginnings of the Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the character that I play, John Bosworth, was the guy that ran a, uh, a hardware company, like a, you know, computer, uh, hardware company that turned into a bit of a software company, and then Joe McMillan, this, awful sociopath came in played by Lee Pace and uh yeah destroyed my company and uh turned my lap upside down and I ended up going to jail and at the end of the first season and uh I've sort of recovered and and have uh become fast friends with the people over at Mutiny which is a software company that sort of comes out of the ashes of this company Cardiff Electric that I ran and uh we take that into Silicon Valley in season three. It doesn't sound that exciting, I guess, on paper, now that I'm saying it, sitting <laughs> on a park bench with a coffee. Uh you know, it's, it's yeah, there's no there's no killing and raping and zombies. It, it's people in offices doing horrible things to each other, I think. Drama um, ensues. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, drama ensues, but it's good drama. It's uh you know, the 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 you know, my my Bad attempt at a exciting storyline. Notwithstanding, it's a pretty exciting story. <laughs> well, season one itself, I know a lot of people look at Rotten Tomatoes for movies, but they also do TV ratings. And season one, certified fresh at seventy eight percent. Season two, all the way up to a ninety four percent. So, uh, anyone yeah. who hasn't checked it out should be excited for season three. What other than uh, the big move? Uh, what can we expect? Because it has new showrunners, I believe, this third season. Well, you know, the new showrunners are the two guys who who came up with the idea for the show themselves. Right. Yeah, so they had this, uh, showing up for the first two seasons with a fellow, was a fellow named Jonathan Lisco, did a great job sort of getting us going into that world. And then the two, uh, children, both of them in their late teens, Chris, uh, Campwell and Chris Rogers, both of them are 16, 17 years old. Uh, they're now shepherding the show into the third season. Any, um, any in, is there anything you can share about like what your character's gonna? I know you probably can't share too too much, but anything we should be looking for from your character? All I'm saying, I'm saying two words: dancing queen. That's all. <laughs> That's all I can reveal. Don Bosco, dancing queen. Other than that, you're on your own. 
It's San Francisco <laughs> in the 80s, late 80s. I think that's enough. Yeah, yep. we'll, be up, we'll be up to 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. 99 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Sun by Teenagers, Bosworth the Dancing Queen. God damn it. Somebody <laughs> should watch the show because of that. That's true. We got one. Uh, well, we're talking to you now as, as this big, huge, famous, established actor sitting in the middle of Los Angeles on a park bench. But <laughs> Yeah, you... yeah. Hold on. Let me, hold on. Let me get through this autograph crowd here. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some time there. But um, you did have an unorthodox or at least a little bit of an unorthodox path to acting. We've talked to some people in the past and they're all through, you know, Second City and they've gone to Juilliard and things like that. And but you're from Iowa, right? So you kind of had a, a different yeah. route, at least to Los Angeles and uh, coming up acting. Is that right? Yeah, I had to go through Rednecks <laughs> and uh, make my way. I had to make my way through a whole pile of Rednecks. Um, <laughs> No, it was a, yeah, I, I just sort of dropped out of college and went to New York and, and met a bunch of people and started writing shit when I got there and um, performing. I did a lot of performance art in the Lower East Side when I started out. It was in the days before the big comedy boom and and before, um, I think Second City was probably going, but there was no UCB in New York at that time in LA. There was no UCB or anything. Um, yeah, so that's, I, I sort of... Uh, you know, cut my teeth, I think, doing that. Yeah, was there a, a moment where you kind of had your um, cliche break and said, oh, well, this is going to end up working for me now? Because I think that there's a lot of work that goes involved in just dropping out of college and just moving to New York on a whim kind of thing. Not really. It's just, um, <laughs> I still don't know if it's going to work out for me. It's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a day-to-day deal. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, hope, you hope for the best. All you can do is sort of do what you do, but... Um, I, yeah, I mean, sometimes the best plan is no plan, and and I didn't have a plan, and I didn't, I didn't have any great goals. I just, uh, you know, I knew what I wanted to do, and I sort of started to do it on the Lower East Side. And then some different people saw me. This guy Will McRob saw me performing one night, and he eventually went on to create uh, the Adventures of Pete and Pete with uh, Chris Viscardi, and this was an old Nickelodeon show I did that sort of started me, and I got a an agent out of that and worked with MTV and, and sort of things sort of started that way. But, you know, each, each gig you get, you, even though it's a good one, you, there is part of yourself just doing what we do that, that you think it is probably going to be your last. So you better save your money and hope for the best. And then, you know, see if you can withstand. Yeah. There's always a flood coming if you're an actor, I think. Yeah, sure. Uh, and you mentioned Pete and Pete, that's kind of your, your start and your first, uh, at least how people started to notice you. But I looked up INDB yeah. and you have 114 acting credits, which is more than a few. Uh, was the was the strategy kind of just take whatever you could get and see what worked and, <laughs> and take some experiences? Hey, What's going hey, on there? Hey, yeah, it does take a, gen- a genius to figure that one out, pal. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very picky with these 114. <laughs> you know, I wasn't one of those guys who started acting when I was 10 either. Yeah, you know, right. I didn't get my first gig. I think my first actual paid gig was with Garrison Keillor doing the thing on Prairie Home Companion uh, when I was like 26 or 7. And, yeah, I think early on. That doesn't show up in your, on your IMDb's. I don't think so, no. Give us some information <laughs> yeah. there. No, but even in the IMDb, there's some stuff that I turned down, but not much. I mean, my philosophy has always been just to do the thing and then... Uh, 
you're always going to learn something from that, and it might pay a little bit of dough, but you're always growing as a, I guess, as a performer and, and just a dude who does stuff. Well, the, the mandatory follow-up would be out of every, because you have done a little bit of everything. I mean, do you have a preference of uh, which ones you enjoyed better than others? It, it, it sort of goes on roll-to-roll. Uh, roll. Some roles are really, you know, they can be small but really fun, and like Seinfeld was great to do just because it was such a, just kind of a fantastic, it was a great show with really crazily talented people at the top of their game. It was really great. But then by the same token, like doing Reno 911, which is just a bunch of pals and a bunch of knuckleheads <laughs> sticking around out in the valley, was super fun, too, because we were just making everything up and making each other laugh. It was great, you know. And then something like, you know, working with Werner Herzog in Thailand was a bit of a dream-like process the whole time we were down there. You know, it was just great. So oh, it's really hard. There, there's been some bummers, but most of them, there's, there's been a great upside to most of the things that I've been able to do, fortunate enough to work on. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, you kind of alluded to it. It seems like, I mean, it's a great way to just learn how to act. Like you've done just everything, and you've taken, sounds like you've taken something from yeah. everything, and it just kind of rolls into yeah. What you become is this John Bosworth character. It's a good way not to get tight tested. Yeah. That's true. Much. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, you know, that's the other thing too is that you know it's it's so funny to have done it so long and then and then work on Hall and Catch Fire and have this be probably the most fulfilled I think acting wise I've ever been. It, because mainly because of the the other actors that are on it, the other four. Um, they're just great people and they're really fucking good actors. And it's and it's strange to be around them because usually you get one but not the other. You get somebody who's good and they're a bit of a, a moke or vice versa. But these are good people who are really good actors. And then the producers are fantastic, Grand Via and Melissa Bernstein, and the two head writers, you know, Chris and Chris, even though they're barely out of uh, junior high, they're still <laughs> <laughs> they're great. Yeah, know? I mean, and, it sounds and, like and, great and guys, yeah. They set a great tone. You know, yeah, completely. And then, um, I guess this is a bit of a, a transition, but we've also looked into how multi-talented you are, and we've seen that you have a bit of a musical career as well. I mean, I guess starting with, again, back to IMDb, but I saw you played Frank Sinatra on CSI. Is that right? That seems weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I back way back in the MTV days, I did some promos for them, and I had a character called Old Two Eyes. And I sang some, like, did some, uh, we did like an Onyx song and some other songs, but I did them lounge-like, like Sinatra would, and did a few of those little things. And then I still continue to do that out in Los Angeles with a band, a, a seven-piece, you know, jazz band out here. We'll probably have a Christmas show this year in Hollywood somewhere. Yeah, I saw that. They, they, your your musical career is, at least I saw a discography, which can, uh, has something called Snowballs, which... You seem like a comedic type of guy. I don't know if it's a comedy type of thing or if it's an actual, because you have a nice voice too. So we're trying to figure out yeah. where you're headed with that. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a Christmas record called S apostrophe N O Snowballs. Come on, <laughs> we think that's, that's not a comedy record. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> There's snowballs like mine. There's snowballs <laughs> like the ones you're leaving behind. <laughs> it's about the guy who gets dumped on Christmas. <laughs> I think uh, the first time I heard your musical talents was uh, 
my personally favorite vacation movie, which was Vegas Vacation. I don't know. Oh yeah. If that's your favorite, I mean, you were in it, so does it have to be? Yeah, I like that one. That was a fun one. <laughs> um, yeah. That was one, that was definitely my favorite. But you, if, for anyone who's who's listening, and it's Toby Huss, I know that name. I can't put a finger on it. He was the fake ID salesman in Vegas Vacation. But any uh, Seinfeld fan, I I personally didn't watch the show, but I know everybody who did knows like every. Somehow knows every episode and every character by heart. So, uh, if you're trying to put a finger on it, the junk mail episode, Toby played Jack. So, for anyone listening who, who doesn't have IMDb at the fingertips like we do, um, the Liz. Another somebody uh, recognized me in Boulder, Colorado, the other day when I was passing through town with my cousin. Did they say what it was at a diner? Yeah, was she was able to. She said, "Hey, wait a minute, you weren't the." The, the king guy on Seinfeld. I mean, you mean the whiz? And she went, yeah, that's just a lady at a diner in Boulder. It was nice. So she actually recognized you from Seinfeld. That's wild because, I mean, that was 97. That's almost 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's that's, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that's, that's got a shelf life and a half, that show, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. nowadays with easy access and everything. Um Yeah. But I, I personally, I know Steve does too. He enjoys some sports, but I enjoy some sports and especially the biographical pieces. And 42, I, I've seen that movie quite a few times. Oh, uh, yeah. It's such a good movie. What was it like kind of being part of a big, um, like that movie just had so much meaning behind it. So what was, uh, what was it like yeah. working on a film like that? It was sweet. And it was, you know, um, Chadwick and, you know, Andre Hall and all those guys, they were all doing it in Maloney. We were all doing it for the right reasons. Everybody, you know, and, uh, and Brian Helglund, the director and, uh, director writer, was just, you know, it was, it was the right thing to do at the right time. And, and, and everybody was really respectful of, of Jackie and the story. And, and, um, it was great. Uh, Rachel came down to the set. This, this wife is still around and she, talked to people and met us and you know somebody say I'm playing Hermansky and she'd go oh no <laughs> so she was sort of she was sort of going through um meeting these people again and I said I'm I'm playing Clyde Superfoil she went oh Clyde got the sweetest look on her face she went oh Clyde he was such a wonderful man it was so heartfelt and for her I mean that's back when she was 20 years old or 22 years old for God's sake and she was remembering all. It was it was it was the greatest thing. It was really heartfelt and and really touching. And I thought Brian did a really great job with that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As as did Chadwick too. That kid. You're watching him work. You're going, uh oh, this kid's <laughs> going to be a movie star. <laughs> oh my goodness. He, he might be the he Black Panther. Right, man. <laughs> uh, He's wonderful, that dude. Yeah, he is good. Was what kind of. Uh, research goes into a biopic like that because I mean obviously you want to get it right but I don't know if there's yeah too he's much from research. Walterboro Maine yeah yeah he's from Walterboro Maine so I went up there uh, in Washington he's born in Washington he lived in Walterboro so I went up there and I just started asking around and I ended up meeting a guy who worked with him in the Little League stuff and then I and he said hey well let's go um, uh, down there have you met uh, Clifford yet or whatever that guy's name I think it was like Clifford Charles you met Charlie and I went no I haven't met Charlie he goes well let's go to Charlie's you meet Charlie he was his neighbor across the street so I went and met Charlie and he told me stories about Clyde and just asked the people about Clyde and, and you know sort of walked around the same area that he was saw his old house where he lived for I mean he died when he was 99 um, and he was around a long time and he was a 
you know, he was at the epicenter of some amazing things in baseball and amazing things in America in the last hundred years. I mean, Absolutely. and he's and no one knows of him. He's just a, a very sweet man by all accounts and loved the game of baseball. And he likes speed more than anything. That's the nice. thing. He would watch Little League games with a stopwatch in his hand when he was in his 80s. He'd sit <laughs> in a lawn chair and he'd watch the kids hit. And he'd, and he'd time them to see how fast they get to first base. And he loved it when the kid had speed, man. That was his thing. So when he came across Jackie, he went, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I can this, imagine. This guy's nuts. So, uh, yeah, it just, it just, you know, I just went there and asked around and met a lot of people who knew him and cared for him. And, and you sort of get an idea about the guy. And you see photos of him, as many photos as you can see and read it as much as you can about him. And. Yes, you get an idea of the guy, and then you sort of make a a guess. You leap. You make a leap. Sure. Yeah, I mean, try to get as close as you can. Yeah, I I don't know how often you've done that, like that much research into a character, but that's got to be a pretty cool part of the job. Yeah, just being able to go up to Maine and call it work and just learn about a guy. That's pretty cool. Sure, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. Another one of the bigger blockbuster-ish type movies that you uh, were a part of was Ghostbusters. And I, this can be a quick one because I assume you've gotten uh, hundreds of questions about this. But <laughs> how, I mean, ruthless is the press in kind of an unfair way? I'm just interested with what kind of questions you've gotten about the female version of Ghostbusters and kind of the, the rap that it got before the movie had even come out. I think the out. most interesting thing like this, there's different levels of, of people hating it, and there's just, you know, outright trolls on, you know, and it's all white boys. It's fucking white boys. They drove them crazy for some reason. It's not white women. It's not black women. It's not old black guys. It's not Native American kids. It's fucking white boys who went crazy. Just emasculated, privileged white boys. But some of them around my age, within five or ten years of me, know enough not to sort of outwardly go, that's fucking bullshit, making it with women, right? <laughs> but they'll sort yeah. of go, so I heard you're in the Ghostbusters, yeah. And, but they'll sort of say, and say, how was that? Like, I know it kind of sucked, but right? Was it really sucky or just sort of sucked? <laughs> you want to go, motherfucker, you fucking white boys, what is wrong with you? Someone <laughs> took a piece of your identity or your testicles or something and tried to do something with it that you didn't authorize, and now you're angry? Yeah. Jesus, it was really crazy. Um yeah, it's, it, it, those are four of the funniest people on the planet, those women, you know? They yeah. should have done this movie. They should do, you know, any movie they want to do for the next decade because they're really talented and they're really fucking, you know? And Paul Dick can direct anything he wants to do. Yeah. I don't know. I no, don't that's know. A hundred- they got all upset. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly the answer that I wanted from you. I just wanted it from somebody who was on the inside that actually was in the movie. I just wanted to make sure that we were on that. that kind of same <laughs> yeah, character. it was just it was sort of like it was just weird. We're doing it, and you see stuff on the internet and go, "Well, this isn't serious, really." And then you see another thing and go, "What the fuck? What's <laughs> happening here? Yeah. This is crazy." Yeah. yeah, it was weird. Even Feig still doesn't understand what happened. It's just there were just some weird. Just, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you got it, but then we're just trying to figure it out after. Uh, you, yeah. you seem to be a, a good storyteller and have a good sense of humor, so we, I do want to close because the uh, Halt and Catch Fire is takes place in the 80s, obviously, 
And it was an interesting time um, in America, certainly. So I don't know how interesting it was or if you were still in Iowa at that point or in New York. But if you could give us some kind of story about how your actual life was from the 80s and bring this full circle, that'd be great. Something funny, interesting, anything. I'll take whatever you got. Yeah. I was pretty drunk on the Lower East Side in the 80s, from what I recall. <laughs> the late 80s. Most of it. <laughs> the early 80s, I was in Iowa, and then I got, got out of there. And actually... I uh, dropped out of school in eighty, I don't know, eighty five or something. I went to New York and and I, I got on a Greyhound in Iowa City and I rode it to New York and I sat be beside a uh, a Rasta guy who was taking a load of antlers from <laughs> Seattle to New York to sell them in Washington Park, and he was smoking weed in the back and I was this mean you could smoke on Greyhound and I was smoking old gold gold. So he was taking like uh he was making pipes out of antlers. <laughs> so he was and he had his little drill set with him, his little hand drills and stuff. So he was drilling pipes back there. So I I I'd smoke old golds back there in the back to hide his uh you know, the terrible stench of his awful weed. <laughs> and we uh we rode together all the way to Manhattan. <laughs> he and a guy that called himself Magic. It was a pretty great way to enter into New York in nineteen eighty five. That's about um, the exact story I wanted. Yep, that about sums it up. Right? <laughs> that was fun, man. Well, Toby, we do appreciate you coming on. Real quick before we wrap up, rapid fire question. Uh, you've worked with Lee Pace. Well, you continue to work with Lee Pace, who played Ronan yeah. in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. You've worked with Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, who is now the Black Panther. Any chance we see some Marvel action on your end? <laughs> uh, Marvel action. Do they have a Do they have a guy called the degenerate uh, traveler who stays in <laughs> shitty motels in the Southwest? That could be me. I hope so. Uh, we'll, we'll have to look. I don't know. I don't. I don't see any. I don't see any Marvel action in my future, but it's not up to me. <laughs> well, we'll we'll keep our eyes out for sure. Uh, and right, anyone listening, make sure uh, if you haven't checked out Halt and Catch Fire, check it out. But if you are caught up. Uh, remember to watch the Season 3 premiere, August 23rd, 9, 8 Central on AMC. And follow Toby on Twitter, at Toby Huss. But, uh, Toby, this was a real pleasure. We'll have to have you back on again at some point. Hopefully, yeah, man, uh, thanks, guys. I, uh, I appreciate the interest. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks. hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you around for Season 4. But stick around yeah. for more of the showcast right after this.